Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredients. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Ryan Warner, and you're listening to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. My guest today is Iowa Hawkeye great Randy Lewis, Olympic gold medalist, two-time champ. This guy has stories for days that we get into a lot of them on this episode, so let's get to it. Fan of the week is Drew from Beyond the Fight podcast, my man representing Quebec, Canada. Thank you so much for the support and all the love on Twitter. Folks, this episode is brought to you by the Beat the Street Chicago virtual gala taking place Saturday, June 6th from 8 to 9 p.m. It's free to register, and I'm asking if you enjoy the show, please register and attend this virtual gala. Our in-person gala was canceled this year, as you can imagine, and that's a huge source of revenue, so we're doing everything we can to make up for that shortfall. Beat the Street Chicago Virtual Gala, Saturday, June 6th from 8 to 9 p.m. You can register by going to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. It's right on the homepage. You'll see a Beat the Streets tile. Click that, and we'll see you there. That's it, folks. Let's give it up for Randy Lewis. Peace! Now, is it legend or is it truth that you were doing, was it some kind of ridiculous pull-up or push-up thing when you were like in third, fourth grade? Uh, it started like, uh, in fifth grade, they had the, uh, uh, I knew we were going to have the, uh, president's physical fitness thing where you did like a 50 yard dash and how far you threw the softball and pull-ups and things. And, and the year before in fourth grade, I, I had done 12 pull-ups and somehow my dad said, let's see if you can set the school record. And it was 18. And I said, well, I can only do 12. He said, well, do, do 12 every day for a week. And I did. And then do the next day, the next week, do 13. And then I started it. And then I did 14. And then I did 15 every day for a week. And by the time it came around, I, I, I was at 18. And so I did 18 pull-ups and tied the school record. And um, my first year in wrestling, my first year in wrestling was fifth grade. And, and, uh, you know, I had some like just matches in PE classes, like that they had us, and and uh, and and our, our 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 PE teacher was named Jim Brandt, and he got us going, and he had flag football teams, and he had a wrestling league and basketball and and track, so we did all the sports after school, kind of just, you know, not really officially, but just, you know, and uh, like recreationally. 
So I was the school champion and, and I remember going to the state meet and I won our state, we had a city tournament, then a regional tournament, then a state tournament. And uh, I saw some guys that had been wrestling like two or three years and had medals on their jackets. And uh, uh, my first round, I drew the kid that had got second in state the year before. And I was kind of scared. My dad said, oh, you're stronger than him. Ask him how many pull-ups he can do. And so I asked him how many pull-ups he could do. And he said he could do 15. I said, well, I can do 18. So uh, <laughs> that convinced me that I could win. And I ended up beating him four to three. And uh, I won every match, like four to two or four to one or four to three. And I really didn't know any moves besides just that I just double leg. I just, they blew the whistle. They were two two-minute periods. And I got every takedown. I just shot in and I wouldn't let go. And, and like, they might sprawl out and I'd be laying flat on my stomach, but I wouldn't let go. And, and uh, uh, I didn't really know what to do on top. Like, I, I got some penalty points for choking or locking hands. But uh, I won state my first year because uh, I could do more pull-ups than everybody. And then I uh, um, then after that, the next year, I went to uh, – I went to I went to wrestling camps during the summer and uh, I got better. And so the kids that I beat, you know, I, I went to a wrestling camp that Myron Roderick taught. He was a three-time NCAA champ and head coach at Oklahoma State. And Terry McCann was Olympic champ from Iowa, was there and, and other national champions. So then I got then I actually learned how to wrestle by by sixth grade and and. Uh, my second year in wrestling, I won the first, they had, it was 1971, and that was the year they first had their first AAU age group national tournament. And I, and I, uh, I was at the lightest weight class, it was 11 and under age group, and I was 11 years old. The lightest weight class was 65 pounds, and I won that. So I was AAU age group's first national champion ever. Where was that tournament held? Uh, it was either it was in Montana, and I can't remember if it was Missoula, Montana, or Miles City, Montana. <laughs> they had a four-state regional also, and one of them was in Missoula, and one was in uh, Miles City. I can't remember which is which. It was in Montana. And so that was seventy-one. Did you watch the Olympics in seventy-two and watch Gable, or is it all just story of legend to you? You know, I I I don't know if I watched. I heard about Gable after the Olympics. I, I don't remember watching the Olympics in 72. Uh, but I do remember, I, I do remember hearing about Gable. Somebody told me about Gable after the Olympics and how nobody scored a point on him in the Olympics. And I remember thinking, uh, well, if I was as big as Dan Gable, I could beat him. And I said, <laughs> and, and I said that, and I, I wrote this story about Gable. This is true. I said, 19 years later, when I was 31 years old, I moved up to 149 and a half for the first time. And I, I go, I was, I, I was finally as big as Dan Gable. And I found out I was wrong. <laughs> 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 I worked out with him. I worked out with him when, when I was 31 years old and Gable was 41. He's 10 years older than me. And literally, this is one week after I had just wrestled a dual meet against Boris Budayev, who was the defending world champion from uh, Russia. He wrestled at 149. The one year that Fadzayev moved up and wrestled Kenny Monday, Boris Budayev wrestled at 149 and won the Worlds. And then I wrestled him a year later. So he was the defending world champion, 149. I was, I was 
I, and I, I threw him around and I was ahead 13 to four and I pinned him. And a week later, and I was 31 years old, and a week later, I wrestled Dan Gable, and he just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, he, uh, was he still able to go on his feet at that time, or was it all just kind of top and bottom? He'd wear you down there. Well, we'd start out on the feet, and uh, then he'd get the takedown. And, or, but, uh, and actually, that, that, that time that I did work out with him, I did a Steven Seagal move like uh, – um, where I just jumped across and did a headlock and back tripped him like a judo move that, that you see Steven Seagal do in his movies. If you remember those movies at all, and you know who Steven Seagal is. Uh, and I, I headlock gave him right to his back in, in a practice, like in two seconds. And he reversed me and then just beat the shit out of me. And I said, <laughs> Oh, never throw Gable on his back again. <laughs> it's funny. I was watching your match in the 84 Olympics and you hit this crazy, like, backstab judo whip over where you kind of grapevine your leg on his. You guys are standing up. Yeah. I, Do you know what I'm talking was, about? Yeah. Yeah, I know it. I, and I actually, I have film of me at the AAU national tournament in sixth grade. I hit that move in the finals. The guy got behind me and I hit that move in sixth grade and it, and it still worked in the Olympics in the, in the, in the Olympic finals also. <laughs> and it's really, it's really a technically sound move. And, uh, and I, I use it a lot I, on standups and I used it, I hit like Jim, there's a, there's a match on YouTube with me and Jim Gibbons where I beat him 18 to 12. And I, what I used to do in college, I'd, I'd do a standup and I'd reach back and I'd go for that throw because I, I was really dangerous when people are, are behind me. I have, I tell people I have eight throws. If you start out behind me with your hands locked, I have eight throws from there. And that was one of them. And I hit Jim Gibbons twice in a, in a match with that in college. And he ended up rolling through, so I never got backwards on him, but I got reversals. Uh, and so I was, a, I, was, I was very dangerous when people were behind me. It's a unique style. And, and people, and you watch, you wrestle, you know, back, the, back in those early days, um, whether it was at the Midlands or the Iowa-Iowa State duels that you can find on YouTube, your matches are wide open. Is that something you consciously did, or that was just your style? Well, I think it's it really started my sophomore year in high school because I was, um, you know, and, and I set goals. Uh, my dad and I would write down goals each year, and I had long-term goals of being an Olympic champion. And I, I knew that right away in fifth and sixth grade. I wanted to be Olympic champion, and I was winning nationals. And so I wanted to beat everybody worse each year. So, like, my – my in ninth grade in ninth grade I, I only weighed 88 pounds and I wrestled varsity 98 and my record was 12 and 2 and I beat and I went one and one against a kid that got second in the state that was a senior and uh uh I weighed you know I weighed 88 pounds and I was you know I was the weight was 101 by the end of the year with the three pound allowance so I was like 13 pounds underweight mm -hmm. and uh um I was 12 and 2 and then I wrestled, I wrestled the summer after that at 90 pounds at the AEU age group national tournament. My closest match was eight points. I won in the finals. I beat a guy like 10 to two or something like that. So my goal, my sophomore year was to beat everybody by eight points or more. And after 11 matches, I was uh, 11 and 0 with 11 pins. And I went up against a guy that was, and I was ranked number one in the state. 
and I went up against a guy from Sioux Falls. His name was Phil Hammond, and he was ranked number two in the state. And I ended up getting ahead of him like 11 to one in the first period, and I pinned him. And that's when I realized, wow, I just pinned the guy ranked second in the state. I maybe could pin everybody. And our 105 minutes said, Lewis, you're going to pin everybody the whole year. Nobody can go with you. And I said, so that was my new goal. And uh, I did. I ended up going 29 and 0 with 29 pins. And then I'd go wrestle uh, at national tournaments and say, well, that was from South Dakota. And I, I had a chip on my shoulder. And so I felt like I was supposed to pin everybody. And so I tried to pin my way through the national tournaments. And, um, I, and I pinned a lot of guys that were state champs from other, other schools, other states. And I didn't pin everybody, but I thought I was going to. And I just kept getting better and better. And uh, I was, you know, I was real good on top both freestyle and collegiately and um uh i'd shoot in and come up to bear hugs a lot and i i used to shoot a lot and then um my junior year i went i i won the aau nationals at 150 and they had two in south dakota was an aau state mostly so mm -hmm. i went to both aau na you know just there's several national tournaments now but there was only there was two then so i went to the i won the aau nationals at 115 and and I went at 114 at the at the junior nationals, and I got beat eight to seven by Dan Glenn from Iowa, and uh, 11 to nine by Tom Husted, and I basically pinned everybody else. And uh, when those guys got in on my legs, they were taking me down. When I got into them, I took them down. And and um, I had I had I had went to the Olympic trials, and I tried out at 114 at the at the Olympic trials, and I qualified for the final Olympic trials that spring before that. And I watched uh, Wade Shallis wrestle Lee Kemp and beat him six to one. And uh, I saw where Wade Shallis like stood straight up and overhooked and, and he hit his lace leg throw and he'd lace a leg and Lee Kemp couldn't finish on him because he didn't know. Uh, uh, and he, and, uh, and I looked at it and I said, I can do that. And after I got beat, by Dan Glenn and Tom he said my senior year I, I wrestled at 126 and my I ended up setting the national record uh, high school record of 45 consecutive pins and I was my junior year I was 30 you know with uh, my sophomore year I was 29 with 29 pins and I pinned my first 16 guys and I went 30 with 27 pins my junior year and 30 with 27 pins my senior year and my senior year I started wrestling like Wade Shallis. I started overhooking and letting people into my legs. And I said, I want to get to be where nobody can take me down when they shoot in. And I changed my style. And I, I, I did lace leg throws. And, and I learned the lateral drops real good and double overhook throws. And I, just, and I, and I, I wrestled with Keith and Chris Whalen, who were from Illinois. They were friends of mine. And they were, they were Greco wrestlers. And they had a judo background. And I trained with them for six months because I went to, I mean, six weeks at the Olympic Training Center um, in DeKalb, Illinois. They had the, uh, the, Olympic, uh, the Olympic team trained there. And they were alternates in Greco at like 105, 114. They were good friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And I learned, I, I, they taught me some, a lot of upper body stuff. And I learned it really fast. In a couple of weeks, I was throwing them around upper body. <laughs> and, so was that 76 when you were like in high school or the 80s? Yeah, yeah, I was a junior in high school. I was a junior in high school. And Man. in 75 at 105 pounds, I, and I, met, I met the Whelans at Junior Nationals. Uh, Keith Whelan beat me 
15 to 15 in the semifinals of the junior nationals. I was ahead 15 to 13 with uh, five seconds left and he shot in on a high crotch and I, uh, I should have given up the one and won 15 to 14, but I tried to crotch lift him and he, he, he stepped across and I went to my back for a two point tilt and lost match. That's when I uh, got to know them and they were good friends. They, be, we became good friends and um, um, I learned a lot of upper body from them and I just kept getting better at it. And, and I had the attitude that I was my, every tournament I entered, I wanted to pin everybody and I wanted to get voted outstanding wrestler. And Andre Metzger and I were good friends. Uh, I wrestled him my senior year. I, I was supposed to go 123 at the Central Juniors, but um, I got recruited at Wisconsin and they took me out to dinner. The, the, and I, I, where they bought me steak and lobster and I said okay so then I weighed in and I weighed 128 I said okay I'm gonna just go 132 for this and I wrestled Andre Metzger and he beat me uh 17 to 14 uh early in the tournament that's where you could meet in the finals again and then we met again in the finals and I I uh, I got ahead of him six to three in the first period and pinned him and we became good friends and uh Andre was really good upper. He was really good upper body. He mm -hmm. taught me. All. We trained together, and we both we both made the junior world team that year. I made it at 125, and he made it at 136, and he got a bronze medal in the junior worlds. And I ended up uh, I ended up winning the junior worlds, and I was the youngest American to win the uh, junior world tournament until Kyle Schneider finally was younger than me when he won it. Man. And, uh, so I, I uh, at the Junior Worlds, I lost my first match 19-11 to the Russian. And then I pinned my next five guys that I wrestled, including Hideki Tamiyama from Japan, who won the Senior Worlds the next two years and who beat Sergei Belaglazov in the Senior Worlds in two years. So, and uh, so, I, you know, um, I, I had a really tough weight. And the, the Russian... The first round, I lost 19-11 to the Russian. And uh, the second round, I wrestled the Iranian. And I pinned the Iranian in the first period. And this old Iranian guy was coming up to me and goes, Oh, you are so lucky. You cannot believe it. He is so much better than you. You just let him. <laughs> well, geez, I was ahead 6-2 to two in the first period and pinned him. And, and uh, he, tried, uh, he tried to do an uh, – he, he dropped down to one knee and shot like an – outside fireman's carry and I was good at countering. I had a good step over me and Gene Mills had good step overs and I stepped over and put him on his back for three and almost pinned him and then uh the second time he got it for two he, he took me down for two with it once and then he tried it a third time and I stepped over again and pinned him and I was like geez that's <laughs> so this this Iranian it was an Iranian fan or and he was you know like 35 years old which was old to me then and yeah. uh, he was just yelling at me. I'd match how lucky I was. And I'm thinking, what the heck? You know, I pinned him easy. And then, well, the next round, the, the Iranian wrestles the Russian that just beat me 19 to 11. And the Iranian gets, beats that Russian 12 to 0. And I'm like, holy shit. So because oh. of the battle system, I pinned everybody. So I ended up the Iranian the Iranian ended up uh, getting a silver medal and the, uh, the Russian uh, got the bronze and Tamiyama, I had two bad marks and I pinned him and knocked him out of the tournament with one loss. Wow. He didn't get wrestled. So, um, 
Where was that at, that tournament? That was in Las Vegas. And then the very next year, as a true freshman, um, I I made the senior world team and wrestled Tamiyama uh, in the world championships in, in the first round, and he beat me 19-11. Uh, to 11. Mm. And then on, he won the world. And then I lost to the uh, – I, I pinned the Mexican guy, and then I, I, I lost – uh, I had some wild matches. There's a guy from Mongolia that had a bunch of stuff that I'd never seen before. He was wild. He got third in the Olympics and he got third in the worlds that year. And um, at, at the end of the first period in the world championships in Mexico city. Now in my defense, uh, I was cutting weight really hard, but I felt good at, at the trials and, and I could recover, but we didn't have, we didn't have, they didn't have, you couldn't, we didn't have drinking water down there. You could drink, you had to drink just like all we could drink was bottles of Coke and I didn't like Coke and we didn't have any food. And I was, my, I, 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 I did not recover. I felt, I felt like death in that world championships. And, and I, I was weak and behind cause I, I couldn't get any food. There was no good food. And I didn't, I, I, I got sick and I was losing 16 to four at the end of the first period. And I came back at the end of the second period. These were nine minute matches. Wow. And I scored a 19 to 14 and he ended up, uh, so I got back in the match, but it was, he had some really wild, wild throws and, and arm throws and, and bear hugs were inside trip stuff and some stuff I'd never seen before. And I was feeling really weak. And, and, uh, so I was behind, I, I didn't have the power to hit some of the moves that I did. And I gassed out and he pinned me with, um, one second left in the match, 8.59. I looked over at the score. It was 30 to 16. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, my God. So, um, uh, How the hell do they not have bottled water? What the heck is that about? Well, I don't know. We didn't. We didn't. You know, it was, it was down in Mexico City, and, they were, you, you know, you couldn't drink the water that they had. We, we were unprepared as a team uh, nutrition-wise. And, you know, whatever food they had, I didn't like. And it made me feel, you know, I, I got, I, I was dehydrated and I didn't, you know, I was only gaining, normally I'd gain like eight pounds back each day. And I was only gaining like four pounds by the end of the day. And I was, I had diarrhea and it was, a, it was a bad tournament. It was uh, for me physically. And, uh, um, but. Who else uh, was on that team? Just out of curiosity. Uh, let's see. In, we had Billy Rosado at 105 pounds who uh, made the 76 Olympic team. And at 114, we had Jim Haynes, who got a silver medal the next year in the Worlds. Uh, I was at 36. Uh, Jim Humphreys was our 149-pounder. We had some guy who did okay named Lee Kemp, who won his first world title that <laughs> year and then won his second the next year. And then we had uh, a guy named John Peterson, who did okay in a couple of Olympics at 180, and he got a bronze medal. He might, he got either bronze or silver that year in Mexico city. I can't remember. And then, uh, 198, we had, um, Lawrence Susie was his name. And, uh, or we might've had Ben, P I know, you know, I think we had Ben Peterson there and he got fifth. Okay. And 220, Russ Hellickson got a silver medal. And, uh, we had Wojciechowski who also made the 1980 Olympic team. And, um, but yeah, that was, they were not good conditions for us in Mexico city. Now, uh, 
you mentioned that was after your uh, redshirt freshman year. Before we get to that part, let's uh, go not, back. That was, that, that was not my, I never redshirted. That was my true freshman year. True freshman. So let's right. get to the part. How did you end up getting to Iowa? Because I think that's an interesting story all in itself. Didn't you almost go to Minnesota? Or was that the Steiners I'm thinking of who almost went to Minnesota? That was the Steiners. Okay. Um, no, I, I, uh, you know, I was, I was, Dave Schultz and I were the number, we were the top two recruits in the country. Everybody wanted us. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go, I liked wrestling in front of big, big crowds. I wanted to be on a national championship team. And my senior year in high school, uh, Iowa State won the nationals and Oklahoma State got second and Iowa got third. And I took my six visits. I also visited Arizona State and uh, Clarion and uh, Wisconsin. But I narrowed it down quickly to the top three programs and they all had what I wanted. They all had big crowds and they all were competing for national titles and they all had good teams. And uh, uh, it ended up uh what, ha what basically i think the main reason was the three team the, th the three schools that i eliminated that i had visited with was clarion and wisconsin and arizona state is after i taught bobby douglas and and dwayne clevin and the, and 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 the coach at clarion that I was eliminating that school and it was down to these three schools, uh, Oklahoma state and Iowa and Iowa state. I, who would you recommend? And they all recommended, I see you as a good fit with Gable at Iowa. And, and because of Dan Gable being Dan Gable, even though he hadn't, he was only, I was his first recruiting class. So that was my senior year in high school was Dan Gable's first year as the head coach. And they only got third that year. So he hadn't really established himself as a great coach yet. But uh, did he personally recruit you like out to South Dakota or he just yeah. calls back then or how'd it work? Yeah. Everybody came out and visited me and I was like, I didn't know going in, you know, you, you, I didn't know anybody was going to come visit me. It was like the, the coach from Clarion was the first in Clarion is where Wade Chalice wrestled. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the season, coaches were coming to watch me wrestle in the middle of the season, I, I, I did not know that they did that, you know, it's like, wow, you know, and, and uh, um, Gable didn't come out during the season, but he came out during the spring. And I remember, you know, taking him to the, uh, the track meet that our school had out at the, at the thing. And it was, that's Dan Gable, you know, and, and so it was a big <laughs> deal, Gable coming out and, and, you know, like, so all the schools, they came and recruited me, the coaches did and, and, uh, and, you know, I went on my visits. It was like, I was surprised that they were buying me dinner and stuff on the, on the, on the visits and paying for everything. Cause you know, I was like, wow, no, I can pay for my own dinner. I'd say, no, 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 we got this. <laughs> but I learned by my second and third trip that uh, I had never had steak and lobster before and I called it servanter. So I ordered steak and lobster every time I went. <laughs> and that's why I moved up. I moved up a weight for the Central Juniors to 132. And then, um, um, but you know what? And, and like, you know, I just kept getting better and better and beating, the, beating people worse and worse. And, and like my senior year at Junior Nationals, I got OW and I, I, almost pinned everybody I either I didn't pin everybody but I had like nine matches and like you know my closest match was like uh 23 to 2 or something like that 
Um, so you were rolling by then. What was the transition like when you got to and, Iowa? And, those... and, and my, 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 uh, um, like I lost as a junior, I lost to Tom Husted 11 to nine in the semifinals of junior nationals. And he, and Tom's a friend of mine. And, uh, and mm-hmm. but the next met in junior national finals at 123, and I, I had, learned how to counter. I learned Wade Shallows' lace leg and inside pulling guys up and inside tripping them. And I, I, I got real good at overhooking and guys single leg me, I'd pull them up and throw them. Mm-hmm. And Husted was real good. He was he had real good single legs and he was short stocky guy. And he shot in on a single leg and I just pulled him up and inside tripping his back and pinned him in 30 seconds. And um, I never wrestled him again. I moved up to 26 and he was at 8, 118. But, um, um, then my freshman year at Iowa, I ended up getting second in the installation. Had a real good year. What was the room like back then when Gabo was just taking over? Oh, the the room was really really tough. We had a lot of great guys in there, and and that's what made Iowa so good was our room being so tough. And and there were so many guys that wanted to come train with Gable. and so guys, you know, the Hawkeye Club had guys moving in from all over the country to train for the for the Olympics. And, uh, you know, Gable was the Olympic coach in 1980 and the Olympic coach in 1984. And like in 84, we, Leroy Smith, my number one competition for the weight, he came and trained for three months at Iowa. Mike Land from Iowa state came and trained at Iowa. We had, Mm. you know, we had, uh, we had some of the, a lot of the best guys in my weight were coming to train at Iowa and the, and at every weight, we had guys that moved there for three, three or four months and trained at Iowa to train with Gable. Man, so there was just like a mecca of wrestling. Now, uh, Ed Bannock yeah. told me there was a dual meet against Iowa State where, like, the meet was coming down to the wire. It was not looking good. And Gable goes, you, Gable's getting worked up. And you go to Gable, you go, don't worry, Gable. I just talked to Eddie. He's going to pin someone. Lou's going to pin. Uh, yeah, it, we were wrestling. We were wrestling Iowa State, and uh, uh, and we 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 I I don't remember who had won. We we were we were losing, and we were we were way behind coming down to the last three weights. And um, Ed was our 177 pounder, and Lou was our 190 pounder, and Dean Finney was our heavyweight. And and uh, and this was before Ed had come out of nowhere that year. He had, he wasn't a national champ yet, but he had won the Midlands and was doing good. And, and I think the guy that he pinned ended up being getting third at the NCAAs that year. I think it was Dave Powell. Um, it might have been somebody else, but he pinned a real was good guy. Was it at guy. Mike Land? No, Mike Land who was at my was a twenty six thirty four pounder. Okay, I'm getting the stories confused. All right. Uh, and it, let's see. So in 1980, uh, Mike Land. This was in 1980s at Bannock's first year. Okay. So. Mike Land was out. Of, Mike Land's senior year was seventy nine, so it wasn't Mike Land. Okay. Mike Land beat me beat me four times when I was a freshman, so I competed against Mike Land, not not Ed Bannock. Um, okay. So Ed, I can't remember who he beat. He beats. He, it might have been Dave Powell, or it might have been. Uh, I can't remember who else, but he beat somebody good, and uh, uh, and so and he pinned him, and then Lou Bannock pinned pinned him, and they they had. They they had a guy named Dave Forshee who was a backup behind Mike Mann who was a 190 pound. That's who I'm thinking they, of, Mike Mann. Okay, yeah. Well, what they what Iowa State had done was 
Mike Mann was ranked like like second or third in the country, or maybe even first at 190 that year, and they moved him up to wrestle our heavyweight Dean Finney because they thought he could beat. They thought Forshi and Forshi was actually beating Lou Bannock going into the third period. He rode Lou out. He he was real. Forshi was really good on top, and he. He rode Lou Bannock out the whole second period. He took him down right at the end of the first period and then rode Lou out the whole second period. So he was at like 3-0 going into the, uh, in the, in the third period, and then Lou threw him and pinned him. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they trotted Mike Mann out. So it came down to the heavyweight match, and Mike Mann came out, and he was, and we, and, you know, he was ranked high at 190, and they had moved him up to, to heavyweight for that meet. And I think he weighed in at 190, but we didn't know. But they they weighed in two guys, so right. Uh, crowd went nuts when he was came running out to wrestle our heavyweight, and everybody thought that he was going to beat Finney. Well, Finney beat him by like eight points. I mean, he beat him bad. He beat him like 12 to four, and we won the duel. And Dean Finney ended up getting third at the NCAA's at heavyweight, and Ed Bannock ended up winning it, winning the NCAA's that year as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman at 177. And the rest is history. And Lou, Lou Bannock actually had a hard time making weight, and he quit the team at the end of the year and then came back out for wrestling the next year and moved up to heavyweight and beat out. And Dean Finney was a sophomore. As a sophomore, got third in the NCAAs. And the next year, Lou Bannock beat him out, and Dean Finney quit the team because he couldn't beat Lou Bannock. And Lou Bannock won the NCAAs that year at heavyweight. Is that the year so, he beat Baumgartner? That was the year he pinned Baumgartner in the finals, yes. And Baumgartner had beat him at the Midlands. I think he pinned him at the Midlands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Baumgartner pinned Lou, and, and that match was when, like, Lou came out and took Baumgartner down and inside cradled him and drove him right over to his back, and uh, um, Baumgartner rolled him through and pinned him in the first period. And uh, uh, I thought Lou's going to beat him the next time they wrestled. And, and he did, and he pinned him in the finals. And then the next year, Lou Bannock, as a junior, he had some injuries. He had a spray. His ankles bothered him, and his shoulder the whole year. And he was uh, he had he had a bad year and got third at nationals. And, and Baumgartner won 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 it that year. Then Lou Bannock had a good senior year and won it again at heavyweight his senior year. But uh, the Bannock boys were great to wrestle. They were they were so excited. We we had. We had some of the most exciting and high-scoring wrestlers ever on that 1981 team. Uh, when we, you had, let's see, we had our 1981 team is the most decorated team ever as far as NCAA's and and probably everything. Uh, at 118, we had Barry Davis, who got seventh that year as a true freshman. He was a three-time NCAA champ, four-time All-American. Uh, uh, Olympic silver medalist, world silver medalist, and world bronze medalist. 126, we had Tim Riley, was a, a three-time All-American. At 134, we had me, who made two Olympic teams, a two-time national champ, an Olympic champ, and junior world champ. And at 142, we had uh, Lenny Zaleski, who was a three-time All-American got and a two-time finalist, got second twice to Andre Metzger. 150... In 1981, we had Scott Trezino, who was a three-time All-American, got third, second, second, two-time finalist. Uh, 158, we had Jim Zaleski, who got fifth that year as a freshman. 
He's a three-time champ and four-time All-American. 167, we had Mike Deanna, who was a uh, um, four-time All-American, four-time Big Ten champion, and two-time NCAA finalist. And all four years at the NCAA, all four years during the season, he beat the guy that won the NCAAs. Man. And then at 167, we had Ed Bannock, who was an Olympic champion and three-time NCAA champ, four-time finalist. And um, is right now he's still in the top, top four, top three or four all-time point scorers in the NCAA's if you if, for 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 team points. And mm-hmm. then we had at 190 we had Pete Bush who was um, in 81 he was seated third but didn't place. And that was where if you lost once your right. guy had to make them so he didn't get to wrestle back. He got upset in the second round and. But then he was a national champion, and we had Lou Bannock at heavyweight, who's a two-time national champ. So, so that team had – we had five guys that are in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Barry Davis, me, Jim Zaleski, and Lou Bannock. Five guys out of – five guys are in the Hall of Fame, National Wrestling Hall of Fame. We, we won we, – we, we, those guys won 14 NCAA titles, made the finals 23 times, were – and we're 34 times all American. We're 34 all Americans. How many Olympic um, medals? Um, three Olympic champs and an Olympic silver. Woo! Oh. So we, that, that was quite the team. That was quite the team. And uh, um, um, better than the '97 team. I'm not. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. By the way, the '97. Okay, the '97 team had had the best tournament ever. They had a great tournament. Yep. The, the 97 team, I think the best team ever was the 1983 team. Mm-hmm. That, that, the credentials of everybody in 81, like, okay, like 81, were we better than 90? He said, well, not at Nationals because I got seven. I had a dislocated album. Barry Davis was a true freshman. He got seven. Right. Jim Zelensky was a, was a freshman. Okay, but the, the overall, all not, out, of those, out of those 10 guys, Nine of them were at least three-time All-Americans. The only one on that team that was not at least a three-time All-American was Pete Bush, and he was a national champion, and he was seated third and fourth in the years that he didn't get that he did not become an All-American. And out of those, out of those, out of those, out of those ten guys, the only one, nine of those guys made the national finals at least once. The only guy on that team that never made the national finals was Tim Riley, and he was a three-time All-American. So that 81 team was really great. Now, the, the, the 83 team – okay, by the way, the, the 97 team that, that had – they had six in the finals and won five, five titles. And set, they did set record. They had a great tournament. You know, they had uh, their 118-pounder. Right. was like got fourth in the Big Tens. and that, But that team only had two Big Ten champions. Isn't that crazy? That, the 97 team, Joe Williams got beat in the Big Ten. So they had, they had, uh, you know, they had, they had more, they had twice as many national champions as they had Big Ten champions. They, and they, they got beat during the year. I mean, that, they, they were, uh, uh they got beat the, the national Asian, duels. Yeah. 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 They were, they, they had the greater, they had the, everything came together. They had, you know, they had a couple guys that even like, like, uh, they had a guys like with, with, 15 losses that, that were all American, like the North Dakota kid at, at 149. Um, 
they, they, they had everything together. They had a great tournament. That they they put it all together. But uh, for the but the the the, the nineteen eighty three team had had almost 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 all the same guys that we had in uh, in nineteen eighty one, except they were they were better because they were older. They had the nineteen eighty three team had uh, at one eighteen we had Tim Riley who was on the eighty one team. He was our 118 fund. He was a Big Ten champ one. Then he became became an All American again for the second time that year. At 126, they had Barry Davis, who was uh, the 1983 team. He won his second NCAA title out of three. Uh, 134, they had Jeff Kerber, who was a three-time All American. 142, they had Harlan Kistler, who was a two-time All American and got third. One 150, they had uh, uh, Jim Hefferton. Jim Heffernan, who was a big ten, four-time Big Ten champ, and who got fourth that year as a true freshman, and you know his he was behind uh, uh, Kenny Monday and and Nate Carr and uh, Roger Frizzell, and 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 he actually beat Frizzell during the year and then forfeited to him by third and fourth because he was injured. Hmm. So Heffernan was great. Um, um, one fifty-eight, they had Jim Zaleski winning his second title out of three, uh, and one sixty-seven, they had. Rico Ciparelli, who was a, a freshman, and uh, Rico is the only one who didn't win that year for us. Oops. And uh, they, they, at the Big Tens that year, that Iowa went 34-2. and two. Rico Ooh. had two. <laughs> God. In 1980, the 1983 team had nine Big Ten champions. Oh, Rico Ciparelli. Rico Ciparelli got fourth as a true freshman, and Rico became a three-time All-American and national champion. And then at 177, they had Dwayne Goldman, who was a freshman that year, who got second to Mark Schultz that year at the NCAA's, and was the four-time finalist and NCAA champ. And then at one 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 ninety, they had Ed Bannick, who won his third title that year beating Mike Mann in the finals and Lou Bannock won his second title and got his second pin in the NCAA finals out of, you know, so that 83 team, in my opinion, is the greatest team ever. I would, I would, I would agree. And I know they've, I like how you distinguish teams versus versus tournament performances because the 87 team or excuse me, 86 team uh, had a pretty good showing, but they didn't have all, all 10 guys there. Um, yeah, they had, Okay, and by by the way, okay, the 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 nineteen eighty three team, the nineteen eighty six team set the record, then set the team scoring record. Well, they changed this. They changed the rules. They changed the way they scored it. It the nineteen eighty three team would have beat the nineteen eighty six team if they used the nine. If, if the nineteen eighty six team was scored the same way as the eighty three team, the eighty three mm-hmm. team would have won. If if they if the eighty three team would have been scored under the under the eighty six rules, the eighty three team would have won. I'm with the eighty three team would have been that there was a there were six points. Uh, I, the the eighty three team scored like one hundred and fifty three points, and the the eighty six team scored like one hundred and fifty six or one hundred and fifty seven points. Mm-hmm. Under the same rules, there was a six point swing because. Of, of how they did it. The, the 83 team under the 86 rules would have scored six more points. They'd have scored 159. And if the 86 team was scored under the 83 rules, they'd have scored 151. So um, the 83 you. team had, had this, had, 
everything under the same rules the 83 team um, would have had the, the 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 second highest score of any team the, the the 97 team still would have scored outscored them they they had the they had the best tournament so that if under the same rules the 83 team had the second best tournament but they in my opinion the 83 team was was great team along with and by the way, I think both the 91 and the 92 teams were oh. better than the 97 team. 91 was, was exciting. 91, you had both brands, both Steiners, Tom Ryan, you had Rico, you had, um, who was the coach of Iowa City West who penned? Uh, uh, I, you didn't have Rico in 91. He was graduated. I'm sorry, I'm confusing him with, who's the guy who penned Randleman? Uh so I was Mark Ryland. Yeah. Ryland. Yeah. Ryland. That was a man, that 91 team. Oof, studs. And I wanted to ask you about a, a couple matches that you bore witness yeah. to. And, and we don't really get, a, get to talk about them now because they happened so long ago. But two of the maybe the best finals matches of all time, you pick which one you want to talk about. But either Ed Sh uh, Schultz Bannock or Gene Mills versus the guy from Cal State Bakersfield, Joe Gonzalez. Both of those matches are hyped to be some of the best matches of all time. What do you remember of those? Uh, I believe that the, the Gene Mills-Joe Gonzalez was the best match of – best NCAA finals match of all time uh, and one of, the, one of the top three matches of all time, period. Um, the, the other match that I put in there uh, – the was Mike Deanna versus Mark Chirella in the Big Ten Finals in 1979. And uh, Chirella was going for, was a three-time NCAA champ, and they wrestled in the Big Ten Finals, and the score was 14-14 to 14 regulation and 6-4 overtime. So that what? was between Mike Deanna, who was a four-time Big Ten champion, and Mark Chirella, who won his third. Then they wrestled in the National Finals, and Chirella pinned Deanna. He, he caught him, and Mark Chirella is a three-time NCAA champion, and he's pinned two Hawkeyes. He pinned two great Hawkeyes. Bruce Kinseth, he pinned in the finals, and he pinned Mike Deanna in the finals. But in the Big Ten finals, uh, how, how did it go to 4-4 four to four in overtime? Did they reset the score in overtime back yeah, then? Start, yeah, they started at 0-0. Zero, zero. So mm. it would have been 20-18. It, <laughs> it was 20 to 18. <laughs> it was 14-14 regulation, 6-4 overtime. And, uh, um, but uh, let's see, what was I going to say? Yeah. And Ed Bannock and Mark Schultz was a great match. Uh, the, uh, the, the, but the, the, the best match was Mills, Mills and Gonzalez. They were both on, they were both technically undefeated. Uh, they had wrestled in the all-star meet and, and Gonzalez had won nine to eight, a great match in the all-star meet. But so in the, in his last, in their last two years, they both basically had a hundred wins and no losses except to each other. They each beat each other once Mills and Mills and Gonzalez. And I watched that match and it was back and forth. Gonzalez would get a take on Mills would get a reversal. Gonzalez would get a take on Mills would get a reversal and escape. And then Mills got some takedowns too. And it was tied. Tied 13-13, it was tied, Mills was ahead, uh, I mean, Gonzalez was ahead 13-12 to 12 late in the match, and both guys had great gas tanks, and they were, the stuff that they were hitting was really, really good, really mm -hmm. solid stuff, and um, it was a back-and-forth match, 
I mean, every 30 seconds it was, it was a different lead. And um, Mills got a takedown with like 20 seconds left. And then Gonzalez was, was down by a point and almost got out with five seconds left. And Mills sucked him back to his back for two points and won 16 to 13. Ooh. And I just talked with Gene Mills yesterday. I was talking about that match. And this is unbelievable. Okay, so then that was, at the time, that was the highest scoring highest scoring NCAA finals match of all time. The the most points scored before that was actually a guy named Larry Owings lost sixteen to twelve to uh, one of the Kellers from uh, from Oklahoma State. So that that was the highest scoring NCAA finals match of all time. And I just talked with Gene Mills yesterday, and he beat Joe Gonzalez sixteen to thirteen, which at that time was the highest scoring NCAA finals match in history. Then mm. and then. I said, Gene, you were only able to hold that record for 15 minutes because I, I wrestled John Azevedo from Cal State Bakersfield, who was also 15 0 at 126, and I beat him 20 to 14. So I told him, Gene, I goes, that was a great match you had, but you were only able to hold that highest scoring in somebody's finals <laughs> match for 15 minutes. Now I've, I've held it for 40 years. No <laughs> shit. Years. Yeah, Damn. it's still the NCAA. My match with John Azevedo is still the highest scoring NCAA finals match in history. And we were both undefeated. And it was 10 to 8 going into the third period. We had a heck of a match. And actually, he was ahead. I think he was ahead 10 to 8 going into the third period. And, uh, and I, I guess I, I ended up winning 20 to 14. I, but, uh, um, and I also have the highest scoring gold medal match in, in Olympic history. 24 to 11. So I'm proud of that, that I still have the highest scoring gold medal match and, and the highest scoring NCAA finals match of all time. I haven't watched the finals one, but I've watched the Olympic finals and that one is, that's where you hit that crazy trip. That is a high scoring one. That's exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this back in your day was Cal state Bakersfield or yeah, was Cal state Bakersfield a D two or D one? They were D two. But the D2, first and second placers in D2 got to go to D1s. So they had, they had Joe Say was their head coach. And uh, um, they put, so, and they, they had several guys that were D1 national champs. Uh, 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 Adam Questus, or there was two Questus brothers. Uh, Adam got, one of them got second at 118 and, and uh, was really good at 114. Um, and the other one, I think is Adam Questus was a NCAA champ at 118 one year, and Danny Quest D D1 national and Dan Quest has won 126 twice. Um, let's see, they had a guy at 142. What was his name? Um, well, and both guys you mentioned, Gonzalez and the guy you wrestled, right? What's that? And Gonzalez, right? He was from there. Oh yeah, and Joe, Joe Gonzalez and Azadil. And by the way, in 1979, okay. Mills and Mills and um, uh, by the way, Ed Bannock and Mark Schultz uh, was one of the greatest matches of all time in the NCAA finals. Also, I forgot I kind of blew them off. But, that's okay. But that was, and and I believe I I I I'm pretty sure that's the only time that two three-time NCAA champs met in the NCAA finals. Wow, I'm pretty yeah. sure I don't know of any other time that two guys that were both three-time champs because one of them has to lose. Yeah. Uh, one of them has to lose. So it's, it's very rare for two three-timers to, to, to meet. That's the only time that two three-timers and, and, uh, um, but, uh, um, 
I like the yeah, I like the Marinetti Abbas comeback too though. That's a good one. There's a lot of them, but oh, it, uh, uh, when Lincoln was, was a freshman, ninety uh, three. Yeah, Lincoln Macaroon. Yeah, yeah, and the the reason and that is one of the yeah that that is one of the best matches of all time. Also, best NCAA finals matches of all time, and. That one, Lincoln McAravey and uh, Abbas, that is, that is the second highest scoring NCAA finals match of all time. So <laughs> the, the, I got my match at 34 points. Theirs had 31. Gene Mills had 29. Okay, Jesus. so okay, so now this is funny, and I, I like little things like this. Okay, so the two highest scoring NCAA finals matches of all time were won by wrestlers from South Dakota <laughs> that wrestled what, at Iowa. Yeah, yeah, you and Lincoln. What, what yeah. a uh, me, what and, a me and Lincoln. Let me ask you about this because I know you were instrumental in getting these guys to Iowa, the Steiners. I've had uh, Troy Steiner yeah. on. When was the first time you remember hearing that name? The Steiners. Yeah, talk to me about those guys. Okay, well. There was there was a couple kids from uh, Spearfish, South Dakota, that were named the Buxtons, uh, John Buxton, and they were, and uh, his brother I can't remember. They were twins, and they were the same age as the Steiners, and I had I, I was aware of the Buxtons because I was from South Dakota, and 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 uh, John Buxton won state as a freshman at ninety eight, and uh, his uh, or maybe one hundred and five, but. Uh, um, um, and he had got third at junior nationals, and I was telling I was telling uh, Gable we need to recruit these Buxtons. And I did a camp back in Rapid City, and the Steiners came down from Bismarck, a bunch of Bismarck. I knew the Bismarck coach Monty Monty Trusty real well, mm -hmm. and he brought a bunch of kids down to my camp, and he brought the Steiners down there, and I and the, the Buxtons were at my camp, and the and we'd have them wrestle, you know, after the sessions we'd we'd let them wrestle and the, and the, the Steiners were beating the Buxtons and they were really hard workers. And I was like, Gable, I go, we don't need to recruit those Buxtons. We need to go after these Steiners. They're going to be really good. And they're the hardest working kids I've ever seen. And so I got us, uh, uh, we, 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 we ended up recruiting the Steiners and we got the Steiners there and Buxtons ended up doing good. I mean, John Buxton was a big eight champion and, and, and NCAA all American for Nebraska. And his brother, I can't remember the other one's name, but he was, he was 105 pounder. He wasn't big enough for 118 in college. And, but he, he was placing the top three four on, on, on some world team to pass at 105 for a couple of years. I mean, think but, about uh, having the Steiners uh, and the Brands at the same time in those rooms. My God. Yeah. And they, I swear to God, those guys asked me, that's all I wrestled with. Every day, Steiner, Steiner, Brands, Brands. I, they, Whoever I saw was Lewis got a partner. <laughs> and I wrestled them all, and, and I'd make fun of them, them, and I'd say, and I'd wrestle, I'd wrestle the Steiners and the brand. I'd wrestle them when they were when they were fresh. I'd wrestle them. no hands, hands behind my back, and take them down. <laughs> and I I remember one time with the Steiners, I'd tease them, and uh, I used to wrestle them both. I'd stay out there for twenty one. Let's because I I used to like to gamble and play blackjack at the casinos, and they knew that. I so. I go, let's play a game of 21. What, what do you mean? I go, I'll go out there. I'll say, you guys rotate in on me for 21 straight takedowns. You see if I, and we'll see if I can get 21 takedowns before you guys get one. And I, I did it like 10 times. I was like, I, 
I had done it. And, uh, I, I'd get 21 takedowns, I wouldn't get any. They'd rotate in on me, you know. And uh, so finally at the Big Tens one year, when they were, this was their freshman year, and they were redshirted. <laughs> um, I had been down in uh, Florida doing a camp down there uh, for the weekend, and I flew. And I, I went out and partied a little bit, and I stayed out late at night, and I had to get up at 6 in the morning and fly to the Big Tans. And so I got there, and, and uh, in between sessions, the Steiners asked me if I wanted to wrestle with them and go a uh, game of 21. I said, okay. So, and we walk into this room, it's about 100 degrees because everybody was cutting weight. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. And the Steiners conversed, and they said, okay, don't try and take Lewis down. Just just hand fight him and shoot in and, and and if you do if you do uh uh um just tie him up. Hang on for as long. Like if you shoot down a leg, don't try to finish. Just hang on for as long as you can. And and so I had to work for about a minute for every takedown and I only got to eleven. I scored eleven straight takedowns and they finally take me took me down. That was the first time they ever beat me in the game of twenty one. <laughs> Man. I, when I interviewed Tom Brands, he said that Randy Lewis was the guy I never got the best of. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let, let me tell you this. Okay, and, and I will tell you this. Okay. Tom Brands and Terry Brands and Barry Davis, those three guys, I, I, they were all smaller than me, and they were all very strong, but they were – you can't beat Randy Lewis when he outweighs you by 15 pounds. Nobody in the world can. I would destroy Sergey Belaglazo if he came up to wrestle me. That there's no way a guy that small could. I mean, I, I was older and bigger, more, and I had the the perfect style to wrestle the Brands and Barry Davis, and they would shoot in on me a hundred times, and I'd take them down a hundred times, you know. And I made them do all the work. They're carrying all my weight, and. I say that like okay, like I Gable was a weight class above me, and Dave Schultz was weight when that. So like when when Tom was there, he was at one thirty four. I was not a thirty four pounder, thirty six pounder. Then. I was one hundred and forty nine pounder. I weighed one hundred and sixty five. Mm -hmm. Okay, he weighed one fifty six. I had him by fifteen pounds at least. Now he was. There's no way somebody fifteen pounds smaller than me is ever going to beat me. Then. Right. And, like. I couldn't even go with I, – I, I only wrestled Dave Schultz once. Dave Schultz was a 63-pounder. I, I, he worked out with me for one minute, and I bawled and said, I'm never wrestling you again. I almost died. <laughs> and, like, I, couldn't, I didn't go up and, you know, the really good guys that I could, I could beat – I could go with a lot of the – like the third, fourth, and fifth guys at 163 and give them a good go. But I couldn't give Kenny Monday. I, I got hurt. The only time I wrestled him, I got hurt. The only time I wrestled Dave Schultz, I said, I can't wrestle these big guys. Yet Tom and Terry Brands and Barry Davis would wrestle me at least once a week, and they would shoot in a hundred times. And I, I cannot tell you how much I respected that they did that. And like Barry Davis, I never learned how to take Randy Lewis down, but I learned how to take everybody else down. And same with Brands. He never did get the best of me, but he got the best of everybody else. And I, I'm very glad that I was older and more experienced. And, and also, I knew, you know, it's a big brother thing, too. It's just like I knew how to wrestle him. And, you know, he, his, he had those driving doublings where he attacked at the hips. Well, I just happened to be the best in the world at pulling you up off the hips and throwing you. And he kept, he, you know, I mean, I was, I mean, 
there were guys that Tom Brands could beat the heck out of that sometimes could beat me in the room. Like some guys, some days I had a bad day in the room. Some other guys could, but Tom, and, and but also this mentally, I got ready for Tom Brands every time too, because I did, because he was a three-time national champion. I, if, if, if he wouldn't have been winning nationals, I, I would have maybe taken it easier on him a couple of times in practice. <laughs> Cause there was, there was pride in that room too. And I would, I would tease them doing that. You know, I mean, and Terry, he was a 26 pounder wrestling me. And geez, I was way bigger than him. And I remember one time uh, uh, <laughs> he hit this, he hit a high crotch and tried to switch off to me. And I kind of hit, it's kind of from where he's on his knees. It's almost the same move that I hit in the Olympics where the guy's behind me and I mm-hmm. step across. But it's, I kind of just do a quick whip over. It's using his, using his momentum. I grabbed the back of their lat and their elbow and whipped them over right to their back. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hit him like he shot in and, and he turned the corner and drove into me real hard. And I hit him on it. I hit him like 10 times in a row with the same counter. He goes, M, M, ever. How many times can I get hit by this same effing move? And I said, I'd say at least 10 more times. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him afterwards and I joke about it. And I say, it turns out I was right. <laughs> Jeez. But um, they, they were, they were, those guys attacked attacked and attacked and i told a story about um you know when when tom brands finally wore me out one time in the practice after i'd scored a bunch of points he'd shoot i'd score he'd shoot i'd score well all of a sudden you know and i, and I told it about a dehydrate about going out on a friday night hydration night before home football games royce and i would go out the brands boys would stay home but i knew that i i was going to sweat a lot the next day so i had to make sure i had a lot of liquids in me the night before and uh i'd go downtown on friday night hydration night and well i wrestled the brands and, and it was tom brands who wrestled me that day and we had one one last go game oh one last go and he didn't know how long it was going to go and it's probably going to go at least 10 minutes so after about five minutes i was just i had i said suddenly i wasn't feeling so dehydrated after wrestling tom brands for an hour i was totally soaked and drenched probably sweat said i and I had, I was almost, I felt like on my deathbed and Tom Brands got in on one last single leg and almost took me down. And somehow I, I, uh, I sucked it up and I got, I got one last takedown and I go, and I felt like death and I rolled off him. And I rolled on my back and I called time out. <laughs> Tom Brands jumped up, his fist were clenched and spittle was cut out of his mouth. I'm laying on my back and Brand said, and this, this is a true story, 100% true, I, actually said this and he looked down at me and said Lewis that's effing bullshit Lewis, we don't take timeouts in Iowa and I lay there on my back just dead I said Brands I said if you just got done scoring 100 points you'd be tired too <laughs> <laughs> now these hydration nights would it be a, a, a bar downtown or would it be a house party what's that on these hydration nights with you and Royce and Penrith was probably there too but was it a what, a go-to bar you guys would have, or was it like a house party at the Iowa Wrestling House back then? Oh, like the night before on Friday nights? Yeah. Where would you guys go? Oh, down to the bars, chasing women, you know, that, that type of stuff. <laughs> Catching <laughs> them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've, uh, you know, I actually interviewed, you know, Leroy Smith when we were talking last summer about the, the Gable documentary, but he said back in the early day, even the Oki State guys would go out to the bars with you sometimes, and it was more uh, you know, teams would get together and have some drinks. But as yes, know, is that is that true? Yes, yes. When, when we wrestled at Oklahoma State, 
I'd go out with their guys afterwards. They'd have parties and we'd, we'd introduce, we'd, I'd be hitting on their mad aids and stuff like that. And, and yeah. And when we, yeah, like, yeah, we, we were friends and we partied with them afterwards. And at Iowa state, I'd go party with Jim Gibbons and Jim Lord, the guys that I wrestled in the duels. And I'd go party. I'd go, I'd stay overnight when we'd wrestle at Ames, other than when I dislocated my elbow. But like the other years I'd stay overnight there after we'd wrestle them. I'd go to the football with the Iowa state football game. I'd go spend the weekend with Jim Lord and Jim Gibbons. And, uh, they'd stay with me. Like when we, you know, Jim and Joe Gibbons would stay with me when we, when they wrestled in Iowa city, even mm-hmm. after I beat them, you know, like we'd go out that night, you know, and, um, um, yeah, like, like, uh, uh, we were in Iowa city after the, after the meet, when I didn't wrestle, but it was my senior year when I had dislocated my elbow. So it was the last meet of the year, but Jim stayed overnight and we went downtown to bars. One of the guys, um, some guy, some Iowa fan, a guy, I don't, must not have been an Iowa fan, but he, he was talking to Jim Gibbons. You're Jim Gibbons, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, you know, I'm glad you hurt Lewis. He goes, is I, I was in a class when he's a dick. He said that to him. And I go, well, I didn't hardly even go to class, so I don't know how the guy knew I was a dick. But and Jim Gibbons says, "Well, why don't you tell him he's standing right next to me?" <laughs> 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 and what's funny is, is fifteen years later they did a a story about it about the uh, they were interviewing both Jim Gibbons and I. We both told that same same story independently of each other about that guy saying that to him, you know, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. We, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Like I went and party with Leroy Smith, uh, when, and John and yeah, we did, we, we, we'd go out with them guys afterwards. Do you think like the brands era and like the John Smith era, was that still going on or had the lines been drawn at that point? Oh yeah. The lines had been drawn by then. And, and I think, uh, that stopped after 84, after the, uh, like we were friends with the Oklahoma state guys before, but then it became enemies when, when the shit happened with me and Leroy Smith mm-hmm. and they blamed Gable. And there was, there was a lot of, a lot of animosity between the teams. And then, and then, okay, now if you know the brands boys, they're not going to, they're not like me. And, and, and they're not like, I'm, I'm good friends with Andre Metzger and Ricky. I, I love the guys that I competed against and I go Ricky Delgado and you know, we, we had great matches in this those brands boys, they got a little anger in them and they, they, you know, they, they're, they're not uh, good. Uh, I don't think brands would consider any of their. Like, I don't think opponent. brands and Alan Freed are going out for a drink. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're, it, well, brands don't drink at all. For one right. Thing. And uh, but yeah, but like I, I, I went out drinking with Alan Freed several times. I've been with him a few times. Yeah. He's a great guy, isn't he? I've yeah. 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 Love yeah. that. He yeah. talks about yeah. in 95, he was training at the Hawkeye Club, which to me blows my mind. Um, but him and Bill Zadick got into a scrap in plastics one year in the locker room at Yeah. Harvard. Yeah, I heard about that. I was I was not in ninety five, I was not there. I was down in Arizona then. I moved to Arizona in ninety three, but or ninety two, gotcha. but uh, Okay. But uh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. It's just but crazy then, to yeah. think that Freed would be training there at all, you know. What's that? It's just hard well, to believe that he'd be training there. You know, we had a lot of guys that wanted to come there, and and you know, at that time, uh, I don't know where Freed was training. He wasn't at Oklahoma State. Uh, he came from somewhere else, Indiana. Of, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. He needed, 
And, you know, in my opinion, at that time, Colot was the number one guy at the weight. And, like, Zadik and, and Freed were, like, the number three and four guys. Uh, I felt like they should have been wrestling with each other. I mean, because they, they weren't each other's main competition. Kerry uh, Colot was. Right. Yeah, they, and they should have been trying to beat Colot. They, instead of worrying about who's the number three and four guys on the ladder. Now, and they were both, by the way, uh, Bill Zadig ended up being a world champion. And right. Alan Freed is one of the, uh, I ranked him and I ranked him as one of the top three greatest one-time NCAA champs in history. Who and else is on that list? I, I, I wrote an article with Kyle Klingman about 20 years ago. So this is, <clears throat> okay. Okay. This, this is, so we're, we're not counting anybody after the year 2000. So, okay. uh, and here's, here was the guys. And, and I had, this isn't about who was just great for one year or two years. You had to be at least a three time all American, at least, two, you know, two time finalist. And it's, it's, and it's also based on who you beat in the finals and who you lost to. And, you know, but you know, and, and, and also I'm just, uh, we also are taking some some consideration to how you did uh, post college, like Olympic teams and things like that. But and if you and we it counted more like if you were beating, like Dave Schultz was making world, you know, yeah. beating world while he's in college. Okay, so uh, the one timers that the ten guys on there. Let's see, off the top of my head, um, had uh, uh, John Azevedo, who I beat in the finals since he was. Uh, uh, in three years of college, he has 120 wins and two losses, and both of his losses were, at, were the NCAA finals. So he was 120 wins and two losses, and he made an Olympic team and got fourth. In, he made the Olympic team right after his senior year in college. We had uh, I had Kelly Ward, who was uh, without red shirting, got second, second, first, and his two losses, and he only had like seven losses in his last. He, he, his two losses in the finals were to some, some guy you may have heard of named Lee Kemp. And, uh, um, so he was a three-time finalist and that, and his only, his only losses in college, his last three years, um, uh, were to, uh, three-time NCAA champs. He lost like five times to Lee Kemp and once to Mark Turrell. And, uh, um, Let's see. So who else was in there? Uh, I had Dave Schultz on there, who placed first, second, and third in three years, and he only he only had three years of eligibility because he lost a year by transferring. And Dave Schultz uh, uh, is is in there. And the the and Kenny Monday, I put Kenny Monday in there. Yep. He got second, second, first, and his two seconds were both lose losses close losses to Nate Carr, who he beat both. He beat him in the big eights, both those years, and then lost to him in the NCAA finals. And so I got the top three that I ranked were, were Kenny Monday, Dave Schultz and Alan Freed. I said, you could put an Alan Freed. Let me tell you about him. Okay. He was second, second, first, and he lost to Tom Brands in the finals twice. And, and when, when Alan Freed was a true freshman, he redshirted. And Tom Brands won his first title that year. But that year at the North, at the UNI Open, Alan Freed wrestled in and beat Tom Brands that year when he was a true freshman. Brands won. And so, and Alan Freed, I think his record is like 100, 126 wins and six losses. And five of his six losses are to Tom Brands. 
So if you take Tom Brands out of it, he's 124 and one in his college career. There we go. And, three, and a three-time finalist, two-time, and and and, and uh, the year that the year that he did an All-American, he was like 40 and 0, and that was the year that Oklahoma State got banned from the NCAA tournament as a team. Right. Freed and and Freed and Pat Smith registered that year, and and T.J. Jaworski transferred. Freed could have transferred and been eligible right away, but he decided to stay and just wrestle. And Freed would have won nationals that year. He was undefeated. And he, had, he So he went undefeated that year. They they got to wrestle the whole season. They just didn't get to wrestle the big eights and nationals. So Freed. Every year uh, he was in the lineup, he made the finals. Like where he could right, have gone. You right, know? right, right. And and he was the best guy. When, yeah. And, and then let's see. Who else did I have in there? Let's see. At Kelly Ward. Um, Bill Zadick uh, was a one-timer. Yeah, but he, he only got fourth. He got fourth, you know, so. Okay. And I said, like, Bruce Kinsella, second and got first. But, okay, and Joe Gonzalez got second and first. But you, you had to be good for more than just two years. Let's okay. see. Uh, I'm, I had Jim Heffernan in there. He was a three-time finalist, four-time All-American. And, you know, he got fourth as a true freshman in a really good weight. And then he got second twice and, and first. Um, what about Dwayne I, Goldman? I had Dwayne Goldman in there, yes, three, four-time finalists. Trying to, I'm just trying to think who else I, I had in there. Um, um, let's see. I had Bruce Baumgartner in there, three-time finalist uh, um, and champion, and, and he had a pretty good, pretty good international career, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> now, but he did. He did get, and I, I teased him about this. <laughs> and I said this one time, we were, we were at a dinner, you know, a bunch of, it was like, you know, like at one of the, I don't know if it was an NCW tournament or something, there was a dinner, there's a bunch of wrestling people in it, and Bruce was in there. And so I got by the door so I could run, and I said, okay, attention everybody. I go, if there's anybody here who's, uh, who's made 15 World Olympic teams and it's got 15 world, 13 world Olympic medals and two Olympic gold medals and a silver medal in the Olympics and a bronze medal in the Olympics and three world titles. And you also got pinned in the NCAA finals twice. Raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then funny. I spit it out of the room. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Randy, last thing I wanted to ask you before we sign off, I know we've been going for about an hour here, but just you know, a couple more minutes. I, I put out a post a while ago, um, about a week ago on the best Hawkeye two-time national champ ever. You were on that list, but let's take yourself out of it. I think it was like Chris Campbell, TJ Williams, Ironside, Mark Perry, Metcalf. Um, I think that was it right there, but best Hawkeye two-time champ ever. I don't mean to pin you down here, but what do you think? What comes to mind? Easiest vote ever if I take myself out of it. <laughs> Chris Campbell. Is that right? <laughs> No question. Oh yeah, no question. Okay, Chris Campbell. Chris Campbell came back. At the, he sat out of wrestling for. He was. He won the worlds in '81. He he made the world team first world team in 1977. Won the worlds in '81 and comes back. Goes to law school. He hadn't wrestled in a world championship since 1981. And in 1990, he gets second in the world. Then in 1991 in the worlds, he ends up fifth with one loss. And beats the champion in Kadarsev, who's an eight-time World Olympic champ. Then he gets a bronze medal at the age of 37 or 38 in the Olympics. Okay, mm. Chris Campbell. 
Chris Campbell was so, and as a true freshman, he was the number two seed at the NCAAs. He got he lost ninety eight in the first round, didn't get to wrestle back. As a sophomore, without redshirting, uh, he went one hundred. Without redshirting, he went one hundred twenty six and six was his record. You know, and a lot of these other guys are you know like they, they don't count their losses as a true freshman. And and Chris Campbell beat everybody. He was so good. You know, he would have been. He made you know. Uh, debate settled right there i mean yeah i don't i it, it, it he's he's head and shoulders above everybody else that you mentioned there um tj williams gets a lot of credit for and that for having the, the the best record at iowa um but he also lost to a bono at the midlands that's not on his record and he wrestled he had one year of junior college where he had like six losses and didn't even win JUCOs. So mm-hmm. if you're going to kind of get a college career and, and okay, take the year that he wrestled somewhere else, put those losses in there, they, they should count. So then that drops him down. And he didn't really, uh, Metcalf only got to wrestle three years. He's in there. I, I'd rank him up there. Uh, but I put Royce Alger ahead of, uh, I put Royce Alger second on that list of timers. Ahead of Ironside? The guys he beat. He, oh, wait, I wouldn't, not, nothing against Ironside. Okay. Royce Alger beat, who did, who did Ironside beat in the, in the NCAA finals? Two guys I can't remember. Okay. Not Kevin Jackson. I'll who tell did, you that. Who did Royce Alger? Yeah, he didn't beat Kevin Jackson three times. No. Okay. And Royce, Royce is, Royce has 16 wins against world champions from the United States. Royce has 16 career wins against Kevin Jackson, Dave Schultz, uh, Kenny Monday, and Melvin Douglas. Royce is 10 and 8 against Kevin Jackson. He's he's 2 and 0 against Dave Schultz. Uh, he won, 1 and 0 against Kenny Monday, and he's beat Melvin. Uh, I think he's 2 and 2 against Melvin. Um, um, so. Holy yeah, I, I put I, I would put Royce ahead of Ironside. Now Ironside did go. By the way, both Royce and Ironside were undefeated against collegians. Royce lost a match in the Midlands against Mike Sheets, who was out of college. Other than that, they were both undefeated their last two years. And I have tremendous respect for Ironside, but uh, um, okay, uh, I put I rank Royce, I rank Royce higher than Ironside. I would put Ironside third on that list. Uh, uh, okay. And uh, Metcalf, I put him, I put him high up there. Uh, I put him about fourth. Okay. Um, who, who else? Who, who else am I missing here? I had Diego. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that old school. I didn't have the OGs like that. I had uh, yep. a lot of people said I should have put Spencer Lee, but I hope he wins another one. Um, but if he doesn't, um, obviously he's up there. Okay, I. I'm going to wait till, till Spencer Lee's career's over and rank him. Fair. That's kind of how I felt about it as well. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I don't, when I'm ranking the all-time greats, wait till, wait till he's done. Okay. By the way, by the way, okay. Spencer Lee. Now here are just some things. Okay. And I, I kind of, uh, um, I, I had scored the most team points in college as a true freshman. Anybody that wrestled as a true freshman. Um, by uh, uh, and Spencer Lee has scored more team points at the NCAA's first two years as a true freshman and sophomore than anybody, but he didn't get to wrestle a sophomore his, his junior year. 
So are you there? Can you hear me still? Oh, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Spencer Lee's great. He's great, but, uh, um, you know, we let's wait and see how his career turns out before we rank him up there. Who and else did Terry, I have? Oh, I, oh listen yeah. to this one. We forgot Terry Brands. My God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, okay so here's the three. Uh, let's, let's whittle it down. Chris Campbell, Terry Brands, Royce Alger. Where do you put them? Okay. The, uh, well, I had to put Terry Brands and Chris Campbell top two. And, boy, I forgot about Terry. Uh, um, <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> But here's what, okay, Chris Campbell came right out of the gate and, 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 uh, you know, was, as a true freshman, Chris Campbell was seated second at the NCAA tournament. Then he got second as a true freshman. Terry Brands, as a true freshman, didn't make the team. As a, as a redshirt freshman, he got beat out by Steve Martin, um, who got seventh that year. So I, I, I got to give it to, and Chris Campbell, Terry Brands, two-time world champ. Chris Campbell was world champ and made two Olympic teams and and went and got second in the world when he's 35 years old and and third in the Olympics when he's 37. Um, I got to give it to Chris Campbell over Terry Brands for that. Um, Respect. That's a that's a great yeah. way to wind it wind it down. Randy Lewis, I could talk to you all day, my friend. It's been a real pleasure. I greatly appreciate you making some time for us here. Thank you, Ryan. Take care, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.